Hi there, this is Dennis Velko with Out Bureau, and you're listening to another episode of Out Bureau Voices, where we have engaging conversations with LGBTQ professionals, entrepreneurs, and community leaders from around the world. And today we are joined by Joe. He is in uh, South Dakota. I'm going to let him talk all about that and some of the, the interesting project, the great project uh, that he's doing. So welcome to the show, Joe. Very good to see you. How are you this morning? Uh, not bad. Uh, been up for a bit, but only have had one cup of coffee so far. And I'm a three large cup of coffees a, a morning guy. <laughs> so day, I, get it. <laughs> I will be brewing some more as soon as we're done here uh, for some fresh coffee. Uh, so Joe, uh, give us a little bit of introduction of yourself, maybe uh, a little bit of your history, uh, as I always do. And, uh, you know, we don't have to go into long, you know, childhood trauma stories or anything like that. <laughs> just a little bit of an overview, just to help people understand um, how you got to where you are today and some of those motivational things, okay? Sure. So, Dennis, you bring up a good point. We all have the um, childhood trauma that we all survived. Um, just there are more extenuating circumstances for part of our um, population than others. Um, my background, not that bad. Um, but how this all started, how our nonprofit formed was um, I was at my barber and my barber's son is a um, stepson is trans, trans male. And um, he was rejected by his uh, biological father, dropped off with clothing and a trash bag, literally, and um, told he wasn't parenting anymore, that they could deal with it, that he wasn't dealing with a trans child. And uh through that conversation, I learned that my um, barber was having great difficulty finding counseling, um, supportive counseling for their family and for their uh, their son. So with that, you know, a whole nonprofit was born. Um, we, we should all have uh, counseling. And then through the counseling, learned that um, just the housing ins instability and insecurities are so great within our community, especially for LGBTQ plus youth. Right now, um, approximately 1,764,000 LGBTQ youth ages 13 to 24 are homeless. That's, that's shocking. Uh, yes, I've seen many studies uh, of that. And I don't think I may have met someone who, you know, was homeless and, you know, they may not have disclosed that uh, to me. But, um, but, but you've been personally impacted Um you know, as far as knowing knowing a young person, and that drove you to do something about it. Yeah, and that and that's the thing. Um, people don't consider couch surfing or some of the other or doubling up some of the other insecurities as being homeless. But if you don't truly have your own home, you are homeless. And matter of fact, I believe HUD has changed that identity to include um, things like that. Kids get thrown out of the house every day. Um, Unfortunately, parents are not always affirming, are not always supportive, and that's how we get to that number, 1,764,000 um, homeless youth. If, if you're thrown out of the house, it's uh, 13 to 24, you're not necessarily prepared for, for life and, uh, and taking care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And you brought up a really good point. You know, even if you're staying at a friend's house, even if you have your own bedroom at that friend's house, you're it's not yours. And you could be um, kicked out of there at any time uh, for any reason, right? It's not your home. It's not, you know, your family. So there's home insecurity. 
And then like that rejection comes with um, other obstacles that I just never considered before. Like I just got back from a homeless summit in uh, South Dakota and um, the youth advisory board um, required by HUD it makes up youth 13 to 24 that have 80 percent have had to experience homelessness. Out of that um, youth advisory board, um, that there are 12 on it, eight identified as LGBTQ+, which uh, reaffirms the numbers that the majority of um, people seeking services, or at least a very large portion, up to 40%, are LGBTQ+. And like one young lady said to me, she said, you know, at 18, I um, was, I, I was outgrew the foster system. I was released. I didn't know how to make my own doctor's appointment. Didn't know how to make my own dental appointment. I didn't have ID. And I'm like, well, you just went down the DMV and got ID. She's like, no, you don't understand. I didn't have a birth certificate. I didn't have a social security card. Didn't have a driver's license. So, you know, all of these things require each other in order just to get an apartment. So even if she would have had the funding to, to start as an 18 year old in her own apartment, she had a, an obstacle with ID. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. I, I can see that challenge. And I mean, even just, you know, even for functioning adults who, have their own home already, just losing your wallet, just replacing those things is a pain in the hiney, right? Sure, and absolutely. Thinking about not having the the documentation to uh, obtain those at all. That's um yeah, I, I would be well, which one do you start with? Because to get a social security card, you also have to prove who you are, right? Yeah. But then to get your driver's license you have i guess you'd start with your birth uh trying to get a, a certified copy of your birth certificate yep and then if you were rejected by your parents for being lgbtq they're not going to help you get your birth certificate um most of them don't even have communication at that point so asking a mother or father hey i need um you to go get my birth certificate after you've been thrown out of the house doesn't work so well hmm very very interesting so uh, sad, uh, but interesting, you know, to which is why I love to have people uh, of all kinds on the show. And that's what fascinated about me having you on the show is to to bring awareness to the difficulties of this. And so what would someone do in a situation like that? Frequently, um, like we chose purposely to put our location in South Dakota. If you go on Centerlink or one of those other resources that list um, where different resources are for LGBTQ plus people, there's really nothing in South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, Nebraska. And um, I thought, you know, all these metro areas have these great centers, have this, this great resources. Um, they don't have them there. And then looking at the population, according to census, just as many LGBTQ plus people live there, just within 200 miles of where our center is going to be, the um, population for LGBTQ plus is almost 29,000 people. It's 29,000 people without a community center, without resources. So to go back to your point of what would a person do in that situation, like that young lady had to, um, to go to a judge and, and appeal to get to force her parents who um, no longer spoke to her for her um, being LGBTQ plus to force them to give her a copy of her birth certificate. So that requires money. 
that requires a place to stay. Um, she couldn't get an apartment. Um, so that housing insecurity for someone in her situation is terrible. Getting a job is impossible without ID. And, and we just don't realize as a community because it's kind of an invisible thing. We don't talk about our struggles. We talk about our successes as a community. It's such, it's such a real thing still. Um, we, we need to support these youth in order to make sure that they have the resources. Hmm. That person was in the South Dakota area, correct? Correct. Correct. And yeah, I'm just thinking, as you were just talking again, thinking about going to an attorney or something, are there legal services for homeless youth and or LGBT youth to support them in this process? In, in rural areas, it's very difficult to connect with services. And um, that was one of the reasons why, again, we chose that area. Um, there are, I've, I've reached out to attorneys on her behalf and other and on others who would be glad to work pro bono to help a, a youth out. But without a connection to the resources, um, you know, she's still at square one with no ID, no job, no home. So, um, so let's talk about, you know, how you formed your organization and what are, uh, what, you know, what is the, the mission, the goals, what are, what do you currently do? uh and have the capacity to do and what are you looking to do in the future sure so currently we are um helping connect uh youth with um counselors not just youth anybody we we've had um some seniors during covid that uh you know feel isolation and needed um counseling support which i think all of us during covid needed some type of support um, so we're connecting them with resources. We currently have um, three uh, LGBTQ plus um, counselors who know how to affirm and work with our community because they're part of our community, which is really important. Um, so we're referring to counseling, we're referring to um, affirming care for doctors, uh, dentists, and then we are fundraising for the picture behind me is actually the location um, as a destination counseling center, and then the um, full service cabins, which all have living room, dining rooms, kitchens, uh, you know, bedrooms are supportive housing for those that need uh, housing insecurities met. So if you were a youth 24 years old and you had nowhere to stay other than to sleep on your friend's sofa, we could provide you uh, a place to to live um, while while we help you with resources to get you on your feet. All right. Wow. And well, what is the name of the organization? It's the LGBTQ plus Family Connection Center. Um, big name, but it kind of it kind of says what um, what we all needed. When when I came out, I had um, some older, very supportive, uh, you know, friends who had already dealt with those insecurities in life and dealt with rejection. And I had some family rejection. And um, I kept thinking, you know, it, it's my responsibility as a person in my 50s to help provide this for the youth who are coming up now, who who have more unique challenges um, than than I did. They're, they're coming out earlier. Uh, they're not ready for being sustainable on their own. And that family rejection is starting earlier and earlier. I believe I read the statistic the other day, the average um, youth that is uh, displaced from home is a nice way to say it, or rejected by their family and has to leave their home is 0.4. Um, at 14.4, I was watching cartoons and MTV. I, I had no idea how to take care of myself. Yes. And you'd be amazed how many people, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I was shocked whenever my 
nephew was starting to go off to college, um, he had to be taught how to do laundry and basic cooking. I'm like, what? Are you serious? That's part of the program that we do. It's not just the counseling and, and helping them with community. It's it's little things like that. Like, uh, you know, when I went to the school, we had to take a class um, that was part of the home ec, uh, you know, credit that you learned how to balance a checkbook. You learned how to write an application for employment. You learned how to get your ID, things like that. Um, they don't they don't necessarily teach that as a requirement anymore, um, which is unfortunate. So if you don't have a parent or um, an adult who, as you're being raised, teaching you those things, you kind of are lost. And, you know, you look on the Internet, it's even worse. Like, what do I like you said with the ID? What do I do first? Um, mm. So teaching those resources and then also helping with um, giving a skill. Not everybody. Uh, my background is in HR and placement. So not everyone has a um a skill that's marketable and we would prefer that the youth aren't working in fast food we would prefer to give them a career so things like learning administrative um, while being a paid intern working with us or <clears throat> placing them in a company that um, could help them facilitate a career is really important i'll share with you very interestingly i had a conversation with a fellow uh the other day um lives in another country and i know there's cultural differences but I mean, this guy's getting ready to go off on his own. He's 20. He is 24, I believe he said. And he, oh no, 28. And he's getting ready to go off to Greece, to Athens from his, uh, he lives in a country not far from there. And um, I, I mean, it sounded a little like his family was a little affluent for their area, uh, but his mother brings him breakfast in bed every single day. When he gets up to go to work, she comes in and makes his bed and, you know, does all the cleaning. His father won't even let him pick up the groceries out of the vehicle. I'm like, okay. So he has no life skills. And, you know, but here he was in, in the, uh, you know, in a home of a, a bit of affluence. And then again, my example of my nephew who, I mean, you know, he, he doesn't, he, he has to be forced to even clean the bathroom and doesn't, again, does not, still does not know how to cook. Everything that he does is purchased ready-made food and microwave, right? And so, yeah, I just see that as a, one, it's shocking to me because <laughs> I was cooking family meals at 15 years old for the whole family because <laughs> my stepmother did not cook very well anyways. Um, so... You know, yeah. So, I mean, I have some like personal experience to know that how, how difficult that is. And you're right. If they, if in school, they're not teaching that. And if the parents aren't teaching it, um, but now uh, a person who's displaced, you know, from their family life is now out on their own and has, has to do it. And so you're now helping to provide the services to help them get on their feet teach them those skills and help them get marketable uh, in a career path. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And just like what you said, like the other day I was talking to a young man that he is in his late twenties now that um, I didn't realize how much trafficking is still a thing. I mean, it's, it's like you said, I don't know anybody that was trafficked. I do now. Um, but he's telling me as a story his parents threw him out at 14 and, um, some older man said, hey, come with me. I live in Austin. I have a beautiful house. I'll take care of you. 
And that person owned massage parlors and that youth was forced into sex trade, eventually escaped it. And then went back to the sex trade because he didn't know how to support himself or, um, you know, to do anything because he didn't have those tools to begin with. And, and I thought, you know, wow, his story, it just can't be true. And then I'm looking up the court cases because the gentleman that trafficked him, um, had been prosecuted and got 30 years, but, uh, you know, it was all hundred percent accurate. And I thought, how sad is this that we don't talk enough about that, that, uh, you know, millions of kids are trafficked every year. Yes, yes. Um, there's an organization here in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, I've been chasing the founder of it to do an interview, uh, but he remains so busy. <laughs> and he, he runs a nonprofit specifically for trafficked uh, young men. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they literally go out on the streets uh, at night to try to find uh, kids to help them as well. So um, I, I, it's been a few months since I have attempted to reach out to him. So I appreciate you bringing that very important topic up because sometimes I think the, the, the general population don't think as young men being trafficked, right? They Very most, frequently. Most very pe- frequently. Yeah. Just like, and we don't, and we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to associate with anybody in our community would hurt a child, and I and I believe ninety nine point nine percent would never hurt a child, and and all and only have good intentions of providing support. But there, you know, it, we we don't talk about it enough because we don't want that twisted. And look what happened in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, we would like to show all the things that we do to support youth to prevent those things and not talk about um, the, the negative incidents that happen. But, but the reality is it does happen. Yes. And to be clear for the audience, for a male to be trafficked uh, does not mean that he identifies as part of the LGBT community, but is being, Very for- much so. but being forced uh, into it. Um, very, very interesting. So, um, what are, you know, where, where are your plans now? What are some of maybe some of your successes and challenges and what's, what does the road look ahead for your organization? Our successes, um, there's, there's great resources for people like me who are doing something like this, um, with other people that have already done it. Uh, Carl Siciliano from, Alley Forney Center, who is amazing. It's uh, one of the, I believe it is the largest uh, youth homeless shelter in the United States for LGBTQ plus people. He's a mentor to, to me, he helps me with programming and um, helps us develop our board. Um, so things like that, things like uh, Zane Ishmael from Henry Ford Health Centers is helping work on a um, an app that we can reach people that are in rural areas that they, as long as they can get to internet, they they can reach out to us so that it's, you know, if they're in a home where they can't make a phone call openly, they can still get to us and we can help them with services. So those, those things are successful. There's tons of professionals willing to step up and help. Um, at Pride, we had, uh, I believe, six social workers who signed up as volunteer, you know, to help. We um, met a couple more counselors that were vetting. So those things are all successful for me. I, I feel great about where we're going in that part. Um, the visibility is starting to happen. Uh, currently, we are under contract for the property behind us, which will include 10 full amenity cabins, a counseling center, and then um, 
community center on site. Um, so we uh, hope to close on that in February. And, and that's our biggest goal right now, just to get in and to, to do the work other than virtually. Uh, great. And yeah, I would imagine, don't know if you were prepared to chat about this, but I would imagine, you know, funding uh, is challenging or, you know, are there grants out there, um, you know, and then we'll get to, you know, how to, how would someone donate? Because, <laughs> sure. uh, you know, because you, you're right, you know, so many people, because there is a concentration in the larger cities, you know, like Fort Lauderdale's neck and neck with San Francisco is the largest, you know, LGBT community in the U.S. But, you know, but LGBT people are everywhere, right? And you and your center is a, is a, is definitely demonstrating that and i'm just so inspired by what you are doing so i'm just curious you know what are the the resources out there other than the volunteers which is absolutely fantastic but you know it takes money to absolutely. run that you know these these youth are going to need uh personal hygiene products they're going to need um, maybe even a cell phone, or maybe even, you know, you're going to need lap computers, laptops, printers, everything for this to, to work. Uh, you have electricity to pay for, you're going to have a mortgage to pay for and, and, and food. Oh my gosh. You know, so how, how are, how does that look for you? And, and frame it in a way so people will hopefully get inspired and go, oh, I want to donate to that. <laughs> so to answer your question, um, you know, frequently people are under the impression that there are federal, state, and um, foundation grants, and there are. But those things are usually three to five year development. They, um, they don't come right away. Um, you know, HUD loves what we're doing. I, I, I'm frequently in meetings and, and you know, several people that are within the um, Biden administration are like, this is so neat, this is amazing. But nobody writes you a check. Um, it takes three to five years to have those grants, maybe 18 months for some to be sustainable. So, you know, the community uh, being LGBTQ plus community have to identify that the work that nonprofits do um, needs community support because, you know, the property itself belongs to the public. It's a nonprofit. Um, so we have to support projects within our own community in order to make them successful. Yeah, understood. I'm, uh, of course, I'm thinking of, you know, perhaps going down the list of donors to other organizations who serve youth, uh, thinking of one right now, uh, but and possibly, you know, reaching out to the, the corporations. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you had like Levi's sponsor you? Sure, absolutely. And, you know, because they could provide jeans and T-shirts and things like that at almost no cost to them, right? I mm -hmm. mean, minuscule cost. Uh, cost when you bring up a good point that, that it's not even just financial or volunteering your time, um, you know, when we all do. Uh, I cleaned out my closet um, a couple of weeks ago because, you know, I got the COVID-10 where I gained 10 pounds and some things didn't fit well. And instead of donating those to um, Goodwill or something like that, I took them to a shelter. Um, it wasn't an LGBTQ plus shelter, but it was a shelter because in those clothing, um, I had things that were suitable for interview, things that were suitable to go to work. And um, I would rather see someone directly benefit from that other than an organization that's going to sell it and pay a CEO, you know, an astronomical salary. Like I've done this for 
a year and a half, I take no salary. Um, I, we are surviving on one income, my husband's income, because this work is far more important to me than, you know, whether we can take the next vacation or not. I have a house. I, I'm fortunate. I have a house. I have food. Gotcha. But yeah. And, and, you know, starting a nonprofit, even just, you know, starting your own business, you, you have to, you can start it on the side, but if you're not all in, it's not going to happen. That's why even today I work probably 70 hours a week and like, like the HUD application process months. Um, it, it's just one application for one grant takes about six months to facilitate. Um, and, and it's a wonderful program, but it's the government. They're going to make sure that everything is done correctly and that, um, you know, what you're doing is supportive to a community. So it's it's a great deal of time and energy invested. Well, other corporations come to mind for me. I'm just thinking of all of your basic necessities. Um, you know, grocery stores could uh, be possibly a donation, you know, large, large chains and so forth. Uh, of course, technology companies to donate uh, hardware, software. Of course, there's some free software that's really good too. But, um, you know, so I strongly encourage you to take a look at that. We can talk offline a little bit about sure. some, some of that and maybe. I, uh, I have reached out to, um, we get a meal subscription plan and, and that meal subscription plan does donate to the community quite a bit. So we're starting to reach out to those corporate um, sponsors as well to see, you know, one of the things you know, we want you to have a sense of community that you prepare dinner and you sit down as a community together and have a meal, which is how I was raised. Um, so you're right. Those things are so essential to what we're doing every day. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have the basics, right? Because <laughs> if you have a house over your, uh, a roof over your head, but no food and no clothing or no shoes, like Sketcher, hi Sketcher, want exactly. to come, do come donate? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And if you can make we're that happen, you would be amazing. <laughs> work shoes, fun shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, yeah, so well, I don't necessarily have all the, the, the right connections right now, but, but that's part of doing these shows is helping to get that, uh, helping to get visibility. And, um, and there are amazing organizations who are so involved in the community. Like, you know, we all talk about it when in my generation in the 70s, if they if they stuck a innuendo of a of a gay couple or a lesbian couple in a commercial, we were all like, Did you see the commercial? There, you know, it was so exciting. Now we want to see do you live those practices um it, within your organization? Do you support those practices fully? And do you support the LGBTQ plus community? And you you brought that to mind and like PG with uh, their fundraising efforts the last um couple of years. Amazing. And they, and they, it's a principle they live inside their company. So there are those companies, fortunately. And uh, of course, we'll have uh, uh, links down below that you'll be providing me um, after the show. So those will be, uh, if you'd like to find out more about this organization and reach out to Joe, um, his content, his links and so forth will be in the show notes on whatever application or site that you are viewing or watching this. I know, Joe, share with me what you see for your five years, like in five years, what would you, where would you like to be? What would you like to have? be on your way to uh, to have, to get, to accomplish, et cetera? So, you know, our long-term plan, obviously, to get uh, purchase the center, get the sustainable housing and the counseling provided. Um, one of the other 
really big things that are needed. Um, you know, and I'm approaching that that age where I start to think about those things. But um, our seniors, um, we we want the community center to have you know coffee in the morning to make sure that our seniors are doing well. We want to have outreach to that similar to like Meals on Wheels, where we go to their home, do a wellness check because again, LGBTQ plus uh, people have unique community needs. And you may not talk to um, somebody for Meals on Wheels that you don't identify with and say, you know, oh, I lost my partner or, you know, express those personal things that that need, you know, you, you would possibly need assistance. So long term, um, obviously get the center running well, help uh, those states expand the service area into more rural parts since 20 percent of the population does live in rural areas. And then, um, you know, we're not going to overcome the homelessness because we're not going to overcome the rejection uh, in our lifetime. It, it's a slow process, but what we're going to do is provide sustainability um, and a future for those that uh, that need our services and hopefully um, put them into a place where later they're buying their own home and they're assisting their own community. And those, you know, who, who tend to receive, um, hope, hopefully in the future when they're able, tend to give back <laughs> and that and that's so true and in, within our community community we don't always talk about our past but the people that tend to go through the most um rejection tend be tend to be the ones that support later the most um the the people that have had family rejection or have had discrimination at work or um you know the neighbor who uh was a jerk for five years and made their life miserable those are the people that tend to remember I, I want to help the next person not go through this. It reaffirms for me every day when we connect with someone or I'm able to provide a resource for youth and listening to their stories. We all have unique lives, but we all have the same obstacles. That that family rejection or discrimination um, is still real. It's still happening and it's it's um, it hasn't gone away yet. Yeah, we've come a long way, baby, but we've got so much so much further to go, right? Absolutely. Well, great. Well, Joe, it's been absolute delight uh, chatting with you again. You as well. You're always fun to talk to, and you're. Uh, I love what you're doing in the community. Um, I, I used to believe that we should uh, integrate as much as possible and assimilate, and now I firmly believe no, we should support each other, build each other up, and let the world come to us and and see us as the leaders. Thank you, everyone, for staying tuned to this uh, very inspirational story. Uh, Joe is really taking on a large project and a much needed area for a much worthy cause. I hope that this has inspired you to check out more about what he's doing. I'm Dennis Velko with Out Bureau Voices. We'll see you on outbureau.com. Bye-bye.